All right, we are completing our uh, series on the content of making disciples that Dr. Lewis and I had put on a board one day and it became the basis of one of the classes that we teach. That foundation, that underpinning, that basement, if you will, of grace upon which all other things must be built. If it's not based on grace, then it's based on performance. If it's based on performance, we have uh, anxiety about that. If it's based on favor, knowing that we are favored, then we're free to struggle. That struggle involves the uh, faith, hope, and love. God, because He loves us, has given us promises. Those promises become our hope. And then our response to that is to trust the one who promised. Not trust in the promises, though they, they are certain, but trust in the one who promised because he is faithful. With that foundation secure, we then can have the flooring of our discipleship, which is lordship. Lordship is the authority that God has over us because he created us, and the Lord has over us because he redeemed us. And in that notion, we have been uh, not only created by God, but bought with a price. That lordship is a struggle because we're going to struggle with the world, the flesh, and the devil in that context. Um, The struggle then is to obey God in the commandments. He's given us three major commandments. To love God, that's the commandments related to holiness. To love one our neighbor, that's the ones related to righteousness and justice. And to love one another, which is unity that the body of Christ is supposed to have. Out of that comes our spiritual disciplines. The disciplines give us a worldview. That worldview then allows us to be good stewards. And in the context of the stewards, stewardships that we have, which we've been talking about the last few weeks, we are managers of our time, the events of our lives, and the seasons of our lives. The resources, that is the uh, property and, and uh, money and assets that we have, Uh, The giftedness that we have given by God, some natural gifts like singing, musical talent, some spiritual gifts, manifestations of God's spirit within us, Uh, and then finally relationships. And so today I want to talk about relationships and I want to talk about the final part of that, which is the fruit of the spirit. Now, this model that we're using with this picture is, of a, is what Dr. Lewis and I call the temple model. Gives the structure and that's why I use it. We have another version of that, which I should have brought a picture of that too, uh, where grace is the taproot of the tree. Faith, hope, and love then steadies that. The trunk becomes lordship and the main branches coming out are holiness, goodness, and, uh, and um, unity. And then from those come all of the commandments and the, and the stewardships. And then ultimately what you have is the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and that fruit of the Spirit is ultimately what a mature believer should manifest. And we manifest that in community and beyond. So I want to talk about those last two things. Our stewardship of relationships and, our, and the idea of the fruit of the Spirit. They are related, again, as I said last time, a lot of these 
themes are woven together in the scriptures so that they're not actually isolated in the individual chapters or as individual subjects. Because, like our bodies, which you can talk about the individual organs, those organs don't have any meaning if they're not in the body functioning in the broader body. And so that holistic perspective is what we need to keep in mind. So I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5 is going to be our primary text. We're going to look at some others, uh, but we're going to kind of bounce back and forth to uh, Galatians 5 verses 13 and following. I'm going to actually read it, uh, read the whole part of that passage now, and then we'll get back to it. So at 13 it says, You were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not use your freedom into an turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So we see that this is connected to that idea of the struggle of the of the lordship. Uh, for the whole law, the Torah is fulfilled in one statement, in one word: "You shall love your neighbor as yourself." That's fascinating. That the second greatest commandment is the one that's mentioned here. We'll talk about that. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another, which is probably one of the best verses to describe some of the Baptist business meetings I've been in. (laughs) You know, we have a tendency to fight with each other, uh, and it can get vicious, right? But that happens in families, too. We're not supposed to be doing them. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another. You cannot do the things that you want. Uh, But if you are led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. That is, not under the condemnation of the law, because you will be in cooperation with what the law demands. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envies, drunkenness, carousing, and things like that. Right? I love that. Um, of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, uh, that those who practice such things, those who make this their lifestyle, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And there is no Torah command against those things. So if we live by the Spirit, and we do, let us also live or behave or walk uh, by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, that's that mindset of humility, challenging one another and envying one another. Fascinating text. I want to go back to verses 13 to 15 and then start looking at our stewardship of relationships and uh, the fruit of maturity. So here Paul says, uh, you've been called to freedom, brothers. Do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Because the whole law, the Torah, is fulfilled in one word, In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Now this passage directs 
both the stewardship of our relationships and is leading down to the manifestation of our maturity as a disciple, which is the fruit of the Spirit. But it begins with an awareness that we are free in Christ. What does it mean to be free in Christ? It doesn't mean free to do whatever I want to do because that's what the flesh is. The idea of freedom here, the idea of freedom in Judaism is that there is no freedom without Torah. That we are now free from something. What are we free from? Well, Romans tells us Christ has freed us from the law of sin and death. He's not talking about the Torah. He's talking about the law of sin and death that's in our flesh that keeps us from doing what we want when we want to follow God. And that's what we've been set free for. So why would you take freedom from something and go right back into slavery to the very thing that you have been released from? And that's what he's talking about. Uh, We are not to use our... Uh, freedom to indulge the flesh, which is the pathway right back into sin and slavery. But we are to use it to serve each other through love. So he says that the Torah is fulfilled, that is brought to fullness, brought into complete operation. It's not saying it's fulfilled, that's done on to the next task. It's not that kind of fulfilled. It's to bring full, to bring it to complete operation. That's really what this is about. When you bring it to its fullness, uh, then uh, it is found in loving your neighbor. Now, if you think about that, Paul could have said it's in loving God. But if you love God, you're not likely necessarily to love your neighbor. And if he said, love one another, we become exclusive. Okay, I love my fellow believer, right? But the reality is, unless you love God, you are not going to be motivated to love your neighbor. And when you love your neighbor, John tells us, that that establishes that you love God. Because if you say you love God, but you don't love your neighbor, how, do you, how does the love of God dwell in you, right? So, the one that is given as the emphasis all through the New Testament is the second commandment. Because that's the one that's about relationships with people. Very easy to have a relationship with God when He's not around. Or when it's in our own making. It's much harder to have a relationship with people because people are messy, right? Exceptions are in this room, right? Maybe not. But the reality is, all relationships are difficult. They are problematic because they involve people who have all kinds of motivations, all kinds of thoughts, misperceptions, all that kind of thing. So what is the goal of the Torah? For us to be at peace with all people as much as depends on us. Well, what about what depends on them? You don't have control over them. If you don't know anything else about relationships, you need to know this. You cannot control the other person. You can control the circumstances right there if you've got a a big enough weapon 
for a short time. But as soon as they're out of the room, they're back to their own, right? You cannot control the other person. The only one that you have any control over, and you don't have full control over that, is yourself. And so that's why the commandments tell us how to do this. Now, loving God, loving our neighbor, and loving one another leads us to holiness, to righteousness, and to unity. And that is the essence of the Torah. The Torah is love. I am always frustrated by pastors and religious leaders who try to dichotomize Torah and love. Well, there was the Torah, you know, that was a problem. And then Jesus came and said, got a better idea, love. Really? Have you not read the Torah? Jesus said, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The Torah also says, you will love the stranger. It also says, you will love your enemy. So where is this lack of love in the Torah? Now, replacement theology claims that Jesus fulfilled the law by his death and resurrection. And there, the idea of fulfillment is completion and removal. We have seen this in the Christian community in America in the last couple weeks. I don't know if you're paying attention, but uh, Andy Stanley, Charles Stanley's son, a Southern Baptist, has been making great statements over the, I don't mean great in the sense of they're really good, I mean large statements, over the last few weeks based on his book, that Jesus basically got rid of the Old Covenant. And that Christians ought to jettison the Old Testament from their Bibles. And that anybody who thinks that the morality of the New Testament is found in the Old Testament doesn't know what he's talking about. And I would say that Andy Stanley is terribly mistaken. I would not say that he's not a believer. He's certainly a believer. But he is trapped in a very damning doctrine, this doctrine of replacement theology and the idea of fulfillment being Jesus did it so I don't have to and out the door goes. He did that with regard to our sin and the law of sin and death in us. He didn't do that with the Torah. Now, you guys know this, I'm preaching to the choir, but just so we're clear on this, let's listen to Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. I'm amazed at the number of uh, Christian ministers who are um, uh, backing him up on this. So, these are the words of Jesus himself. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Now, their argument is he fulfilled it, and in doing so, he abolished it. Because he lived it perfectly, right? Which is written in, read into the text. It's not in the text itself. Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, that's this present creation, and by the way, <coughs> I check every morning. Because if the creation's no longer here, I'm not going to work, right? And every morning when I check, it's still here, right? So Jesus said, until that happens, not till the cross, not till the resurrection, 
till this heaven and earth passes away, not one jot or tittle, bit of a letter or the smallest letter of the Hebrew text will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. Well, then they go, oh, it's all accomplished. Jesus said it is finished. <coughs> and that means the law is completely accomplished. Well, you guys will never be fooled by that because we do our high priest service. And we know that Jesus fulfilled a great deal of Yom Kippur with his death, burial, and resurrection and his ascension into heaven. But then he did something that no high priest has ever done. He sat down at the right hand of the Father, which means the rest of Yom Kippur has not been fulfilled yet. And until it's all fulfilled, not one bit of it goes. Not the ceremonial law, which isn't done now, not because it's been fulfilled, but because there is no temple. So this is just plain nonsense. Now what he says then is, whoever then, and that would include all of these people who are making this claim, including Andy, those who annul one of the least of the commandments. Not, we're not talking about the big ones. One of the least of the commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. I want you to catch something. He doesn't say, not going to be in the kingdom. He says, oh, you'll be there. Because that's by grace through faith. But if you then tell everybody, don't worry about the commandments, don't worry about the Torah, don't worry about living that kind of life, you don't need to do that. It's just about faith. You will be least in the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, but the, whoever keeps them and teaches them, you can't just teach them, That's, that was the hypocrisy of some of the Pharisees. They taught them and they taught it well. And Jesus said, the Pharisees have put themselves in the seat of Moses. So do what they say. But don't be like them. Because they say and don't do. It's the doers of the word that are justified. You can't just teach it. This is not those who do, do. And those who can't teach. And those who can't teach, administrate. That's the academic world. We're talking about the kingdom of God. It's different there. All right? He, that one who keeps them and teaches shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Every once in a while, every once in a while, I get a student who calls me. And I haven't heard from them in years. And I say, well, how are you doing? They say, well, I have a question uh, about the Sabbath. Okay, you talked about it in class. We've been doing it ever since then. And I just want to know about this part. Wow. I have struggled to do. I've tried to teach out of my doing. Not beyond my doing. But there are people who have heard that. And I think in many cases are doing beyond what I've been able to struggle to do. Now, does that mean I'll be called great in the kingdom of heaven? No, I'm just going to barely get myself in there uh, because you don't get in there by teaching and doing the commandments, right? Uh, God will decide that. And anybody who thinks they know where they are in that context is a fool. And I may be ugly, but I ain't no fool, right? So, so there we go. So, Jesus makes it clear he's not doing away with the commands. After all, what's the new covenant? 
I will write my commandments on their heart. So he's not getting rid of the commandments. Uh, he said, those who do them will be, who don't do them will be least in the kingdom. But the Torah in minute detail will be in force in all of its context when the kingdom happens. Because Habakkuk and Isaiah tell us that the, in the kingdom, the nations, that is the Gentiles, will say, come let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways. And the word of the Lord and the law will go forth from Jerusalem, the word of the Lord from Zion. Right? Doesn't sound to me like Jesus got rid of anything. He dusted it off and said, let's put this thing into high gear. Look at the next verse. So he says, I say to you, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes for the rest of the chapter saying, you've been told it's at this level, I'm telling you it's at this level. You've been told it's in the behavior, I'm telling you, don't even think about doing that. You need to clean up your mental act. Uh, You've heard that this is okay, I'm telling you it's this level, right? That's what the kingdom's going to be. So I'm always saying to people, if you don't like the commandments of God, you're going to hate the kingdom. You're just going to hate it because they're going to be in place, including the sacrifices and the holy days and all the other stuff that we're struggling to try to understand and we're trying to get an image of it, the shadow of it, knowing that the substance is in Christ and the kingdom to come. So, Those who dismiss those things and discourage others from obedience will be least. Those who command them, instruct others, and do them will be great. So that's really critical for us to keep in mind. And I think if if Andy and those like him would read Moses first and then Jesus, instead of reading Paul first and then dismissing Moses and reinterpreting Jesus, they would be closer to greatness in the kingdom. So, enough said with that. Now, I'll tell you my biggest disappointment and my greatest blessing in life. I used to, I come out of that Jesus movement and all that stuff, I was a lone ranger for Jesus. It was me and God. Okay? I'm going to be, I wanted to be this prophet that would come down, thunder on the people and go back up, you know, and that's it. Just me and God, that's great because I was up to here with God's wonderful people because I was so full of myself and my stupidity and that's what brought about my, my arrogant rebellion. And what I found out when I was struggling with God's word is that there's not one commandment in the Bible. Not one, and I've looked. There is not one commandment that's not a relational rule that requires someone to be in the relationship with you for that. Either God is in the relationship or your neighbor is in the relationship or your fellow disciple is in the relationship. So I'm actually stuck with you guys and you're stuck with me. It's a relational faith. It's trusting God enough to be able to obey Him even in the context of the group that we're in. 
And you can change groups and you're going to find the same personalities and the same problems. I've tried all of that, right? These are relational rules that God's given us and that's really important. So, we are to love God by giving Him our whole self. That's Romans 12. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to the world. That's the Lordship struggle. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will demonstrate what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We are to love our neighbor as ourself. Well, that's to treat each other the way we want to be treated, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. There's, there's a standard of how we treat people. And we're to love one another, fellow believers. That one is as Christ loved us. And John tells us that he died for us. We ought to die for one another. Reminds me of uh, what I talk about in uh, in marriage and family. Uh, I, I've got one of the best examples of a of a jerk in marriage uh, that I can use because of my own background. <laughs> so I say, you know, males we 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 just want to express this self sacrificing love, right? So we say, I will swim the widest ocean for you. I will climb the highest mountain for you. I will, I will conquer an army. I'll kill somebody to prove I will. Take out the trash? Too little. Those little things we kind of ignore. Jesus said, if you're faithful in the little, you'll be faithful in the big. It's really hard for me to realize that it's those little things frequently done that are actually the statements of love. So, we're told... That if we say we have the love of God in us and we see our brother or sister naked, destitute of daily food, they don't have some, and we don't give it to it, how do we say the love of God is there? Those little things. So, I think there's a priority of these relationships. I just want to talk about that briefly. This begins in the home. It's a household thing. Your spouse... Your dependent children and your dependent parents, I'm treating household even beyond the physical household, but that immediate household of relationships that takes place. Then the congregation becomes extended family, an extended family in your own believing uh, family. Um, and then there is known believers who you know from work or from your neighborhood, or some other place in that context. And then, people we don't know. This is the stranger, and the enemy, and the person in need, uh, like the Good Samaritan story tells us. Uh, People we come in contact with who are in need, and we have the ability to help them. Those priorities mean that I don't go looking for the poor when... Uh, My parents are in need of me. Those priorities establish where you put your energy. They don't put it there exclusively, but there's a priority in that that framework. Which leads us back to the Galatians passage where uh, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Now both John 
and Jesus and many of the prophets uh, make use of grapevines and fruit trees as examples of biblical truths. The prophets did this constantly. Uh, Jeremiah talked about, are you a good fig or a bad fig kind of thing. Um, so, the clear understanding is the relationship between the type of tree or vine and the quality of its fruit. So I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. In several places Jesus says this. This is the one I, I chose. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit. Nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. Each tree is known by its own fruit. Men do not gather figs from thorns. They don't pick grapes from a briar bush. So, first of all, you're not going to get apples from an orange tree. And if the tree produces bad fruit, it's a bad tree. What's the point of the tree? The purpose of the tree is to produce fruit. And that fruit is supposed to be useful and good. And a bad tree produces bad fruit, and a good tree produces good fruit. So now Jesus says, in that context, verse 45, The good man, or the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. Now that's got to be somebody whose heart has been changed. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. So what happens is, what's in our heart comes out. As the fruit of our lips, as the Bible says, and the fruit of our activities. And the fruit of our lips, and the fruit of our... Let us not love in word alone, but in word and deed, right? That notion of... Out of a good-hearted intent should come this good fruit. Now, fruit is a sign that a tree is mature. Baby trees don't produce fruit. It's the same with animals. Baby animals don't produce offspring. It's the same with humans. It requires the body to mature. And once the body is mature, it can reproduce. And it can reproduce good fruit or bad fruit, but it doesn't reproduce until it's mature. It's the same with disciples. A mature disciple will have learned how to follow the Spirit rather than the flesh to become fruitful. Notice it's not stop doing the works of the flesh and do the fruit of the Spirit. It's just not said that way. It said, quit paying attention to the flesh, because that's going to do the works of the flesh. But follow the Spirit, and that will lead to the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit that is produced in us. A manifestation that God is in us, and we have grown away from the false road onto the correct road. So that brings us back to Galatians uh, chapter 5. And I want to take a look at verses 22 and 23. 
many commentaries point out that this word fruit here is not plural, it's singular. These are not the fruits of the Spirit. This is not talking about a list like vegetables. Oh, here's corn and here's peas. and here. It's not doing that. It's talking about the fruit. So I want to I address this um, in a way that I think will help you to understand it. can't literally translate it this way, but it appears to be the intent of the passage. Paul here is describing the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. You're waiting for me to say other words, I'm not going to say it. That love is joyful. That love is peaceful. That love is patient. That love is kind. That love has goodness. That love is faithful. That love is gentle. That love comes out of self-control. Meaning it's other oriented. Now you can almost hear. When I say it that way. The other passage that Paul wrote. About this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 17. Chapter 13. Verse 4. Love. Is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. It does not act unbecoming. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Now what it means is it bears up in all things. It believes, faiths in all things. It hopes in all things. And it endures in all things. That's the way to look at the fruit of the Spirit. The ultimate fruit of the Spirit. If you follow the Spirit, what will come out of your life and out of your heart is love. And that love is patient. And that love is kind. And that love is joyful. And that love is long-suffering. And that love is not arrogant. You see it? If I said, look at that fruit. What are the characteristics of that fruit? Well, what do we call it? We're calling the fruit love. And then you could say, oh, it's sweet and it's juicy. and That's what those other words are talking about. I don't know if you've ever seen it that way. But that's what it's talking about. Ultimately, we get back to love. We began with love, right? With grace and then love, faith, hope, and love. Paul says the greatest of these is love because it endures. It's forever. Ultimately, we are commanded to love. But if we follow the Spirit, we will love. And there is no law against that. Because the law commands us to love God, love our neighbor, and love one another. Our goal in the direction of our discipleship is to be reconciled to God, our fellow human beings, and our fellow believers. 
This takes spiritual maturity, which is the result of grace from God, our struggle with lordship, to learn to follow the Spirit in obedience to the commandments, ultimately resulting in our maturity in the fruit of the Spirit. No longer needing to look at the commandments, because we got this. That will give us holiness, righteousness, and unity. So our job is to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, and to diligently teach this to our children and our converts, so that we will shine before the kingdom, but certainly in the kingdom, as good and faithful servants of the Lord. Let's pray.